Welcome to episode 214 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. California is in the news because it recently set a goal of installing 6 million electric heat pumps by 2030. Now, California and Canada have almost the same populations. We're around 40 million. And the question arises, should Canada adopt a similar goal? Well, I'm going to be talking to Belinda Gilby, who is president and co-founder of Bondi Energy, a Canadian clean tech company, and they argue that Canada should, in fact, copy California. So welcome to the interview, Belinda. Thanks for having me on, Markham. It's a pleasure. Well, my poor listeners have heard me bang on for the last 18 months about how much I love our heat pump. We had one in so we live in Van on Vancouver Island in Parksville. It's a more temperate climate, though I have to tell you, uh, it might be minus two here, but with the humidity, it bloody well feels like minus 30. I feel like I'm back in Edmonton, you know, yep. in, in the winter. But we don't get winters like that all the time. Nevertheless, um, we uh, our heat pump just has worked like a champ. I absolutely love it. It's just it's more comfortable heat uh, than a natural gas furnace. The we our gas bill has gone way down. Our electricity bill has not gone up by much. Uh, we spend in a cold month maybe one hundred and twenty five dollars uh, in electricity and maybe about thirty five or forty in gas, and that just basically runs the uh, the hot water heater which I really do want to change out for a heat pump, hot water heater in the, in the uh, not too distant future. Yep. But it, so it, it's more efficient. It's far lower cost subsidies uh, brought the capital cost uh, down to within a couple thousand dollars of a natural gas plus air conditioner installation. So I have nothing good thing, nothing but good things to say, but I, I think this is, is the future. And when, if somebody asked me, should we copy California, I would give an enthusiastic thumbs up. So let's, but let's hear your argument for it. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we started Bondi Energy in 2019 with a focus to retrofit multifamily buildings with heat pumps and other energy efficient technologies. But it starts with heating. And the premise is this. Um, in Toronto, where we're born out of um, Ontario, Canada, North America wide, the burning of fossil fuels for space heating and hot water is a leading contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. Okay, so everyone knows about transportation, creating emissions, agriculture industry, but buildings is a huge contributor and that's the sector that we're targeting. So what do you do? Um, how do you solve for that? Well, the answer is you put heat pumps in for heating and cooling. So you get off of gas, replace boilers, furnaces, and put in high efficient electric heat pumps for heating and cooling. And I love, I love your feedback that your heat pump works well and you're super pleased with, you know, its efficiency and your cost savings and the performance. And that's amazing to hear because that's a big misconception. Um, you know, to date, people ask, well, does it work? Um, is it really efficient? Uh, I thought they don't work in cold climates. These are all misconceptions that we hear all the time. And of course, it's not true. They are efficient. They'll save you money and um, they work in cold climates. Let's talk about that. Because I interviewed a couple of National Resource Canada scientists last year, and they said, okay, look, you know, like our, our heat pump is rated to minus 22. My brother-in-law's is rated to minus seven. We have another, and it's a little older than ours, three or four years older than ours. And then I, I talked to somebody the other day who said, well, mine's rated to minus 30, and they got theirs this year. So it seems to me the technology is getting better, but these two scientists said very clearly 
that in places like, you know, Alberta and Saskatchewan, where it gets 30, 40 below for stre long stretches uh, in, during the winter, that in those cases, you might need a hybrid system. You might need to put a, either keep your existing gas furnace. You might have to install an additional small gas furnace as supplemental heat or install some uh, electric baseboards for supplemental heat or even put resistance heat in next to the heat pump inside your ductwork. So, I mean, there are diff different ways of doing that, but the heat pump in extreme cases, the heat pump alone probably won't be able to handle everything once you get down to minus 30 or minus 40. Is that, what's your take on that? Well, you mentioned a lot of great points. Um, different types of equipment, different manufacturers, different models will have different capacities. So you might get a heat pump that works to this temperature, a more expensive one that goes down a bit further. So you have to ask yourself, where are you installing it? Is it in a northern part of the country, more southern? And what's the design temperature where you are? And you want to pick up heat pump that will provide heating to that design temperature where you are. Um, some cases in really, really, really cold climates, you're going to need some sort of backup heat source, like some gas, you know, a small furnace or some, some baseboards. But the idea is the heat pump is working 90% of the time and you're only using that supplemental heat source, you know, a very small fraction of the time. Yeah, and we should maybe, uh, for folks who aren't familiar with heat pumps, talk about the, you know, what they do. So if you have a natural gas furnace, you are combusting natural gas. You're generating heat. That's not the way a heat pump works. A heat pump actually transfers heat. So when it's cold, let's say it's cold outside, you need heat inside. Even if the, if, even if the uh, temperature outside is like 20 below, there's still heat in that air. And so the heat pump takes that heat and puts it back into your house. When it's when it's hot outside and you need to pump heat out of the house and cool it, then that's what the heat pump does. It takes that heat from your interior and it pumps it outside. And so that you essentially have air conditioning and it, and it's your heat pump is, is essentially refrigerator technology. It's got a compressor and refrigerant and a heat exchanger, but you know, you just, you want, if you got heat and you want cooling, you just reverse the process and and there you go. That's one of the reasons. And it's about a four to one efficiency, uh, which is incredibly efficient. So have I kind of summed it up? Yeah, you've summed it up perfectly. Um, you know what you're talking about. Uh, it's, it's sort of counterintuitive. People think, what do you mean you're going to create heat when it's cold outside? But I like to think of it like this. The only place where there's no heat energy in the air is outer space. So even though it's cold yeah. outside, there's still heat energy and we're taking that heat energy and bringing it inside. Almost 95% of the parts in a heat pump are the same as an air conditioner, but we're adding something called a reversing valve. It allows it to work in reverse. So instead of moving heat from inside, or sorry, from outside to inside, you move it from inside to outside. Yeah, exactly. And though we should point out in fairness that uh, when it gets really, really cold, uh, the, the efficiency of the heat pump does drop. Yeah, it, it's not as it, yeah, it's not as efficient at, at under normal temperatures as it is at thirty below. Yeah, absolutely. They'll derate when it's extremely cold outside, but um, your four to one ratio—that's accurate. On average, a heat pump is has a coefficient of performance of three to four, and that's amazing because what that means is it's three or four hundred percent efficient, whereas an electric baseboard is a hundred percent efficient. You know, a high efficiency furnace or high efficiency boiler, which is combusting gas, is maybe 90% efficient, not up to 98%. You still have some energy loss. A heat pump is three to 400% efficient. 
Yeah, that, that that's amazing. And and I have to tell you, this is one of those things where when new technology is introduced and it's almost too good to be true. And until you actually experience it yourself uh, or you listen to somebody who has one, uh, it's hard to believe. And I, I want to point out uh, also, because um, 40 years ago, when I was doing my graduate work at the University of Saskatchewan, it was about technology transfer. In, in that case, it was horses and steam to tractors and combines. But the theory is the same. And one of the the, the points, uh, one of the early studies was of hybrid corn in Iowa in the in the 1930s. And so what they did was they brought a bunch of farmers. They had they plant had one farmer plant hybrid corn, and then they brought all of his neighbors. And it was and it was it was guys at that time. Sorry, uh, but you know, but they brought all the all the guys in the surrounding area uh, in to have a look at that corn. And then they and then so those farmers got to talk to the farmer who had planted it. And then they went, uh huh, you know, this really works. Okay, I'm going to go back and plant it. And then they would do that again at some of the new farmers. And then it would go out in concentric rings like that. And that's and that's how people became familiar with it. And I think for technologies like this, it's kind of the same. Until you, you know, you've got a, you, maybe you hear this podcast, maybe you uh, have a neighbor and you go over and you talk to them about it. And the neighbor says, you know, the kind of things that I'm saying. And then you go, oh, you know, okay, now, you know what? I've had a reference. This is, now I feel a little more confident. My risk has gone down, my perception of risk on this technology. And maybe now I'm I'm willing to give it a try. So I think talking about, if we're going to have a, a goal of 6 million heat pumps by 2030, one of the things we need to do is de-risk the technology in the perception of the consumers who are going to be asked to install it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a, a notion of the first mover and if it's perceived as a new technology that's not proven um no one wants to take that that huge risk and you know our customers that we work with are um, institutional building owners and operators what we do a lot of the time is we'll do a pilot project you know if they haven't put heat pumps into their buildings before we'll say okay great let's do one just do one unit there's low risk low cost and we'll put some measurement and verification meters on it. We'll track it through the winter, through the summer. We'll show you the real data and prove it to you that it works and um, prove it to you that it's comfortable and the tenant's happy. And then let's scale up from there. So we're very much um, taking a one step at a time approach to the market. You know, pilot projects will translate to a full building, then to the next building, then to the next building. Um, but we're, we're very cognizant of needing to prove it, um, improve the data. How is that? Uh, how do customers uh, respond to that? Uh, the, the idea of doing a pilot project. Do they then almost, you know, do you have a hundred percent success rate where they look at the data and go, "Okay, we're convinced. Let's scale it up." Yeah, we haven't had a pilot project yet that hasn't converted to a larger project because it works. Um, the savings are there, and you know, we'll get feedback from a tenant or a superintendent or whoever is using the equipment and they love it it's comfortable heating it's comfortable cooling and um, you know from the consumer side to talk about single family homes of course if you have a home uh, you don't get the opportunity to pilot in one unit this is your house it's an all or nothing sort of situation but i'll say the the industry is moving this way um, if you know there are there are big companies and corporations putting this into their large buildings and making multi-million dollar investments um, it's been vetted, it's been tested, it's tried and true, and this is uh, this is the way of the future. 
Yeah, one of the interests, uh, one of the reasons I was interested in having you come on the the podcast is because you're not doing homes or you know individual detached homes. You're you're doing uh, uh, multifamily and commercial buildings, and in many ways, especially on the commercial side, those are very difficult to to decarbonize. And there's been a lot of angst I know in in the uh, amongst uh, economists and energy efficiency folks that I've interviewed, you know, about how to do that. And so I'm very interested in uh, how, how, from your point of view, like, let's say, for example, Canada said, you know, the federal government said, okay, you know, we're going to do 6 million by, by 2030. And we're, they're going to, we're going to look to companies like Bondi uh, to lead this. How would you scale up uh, tech, uh, heat pump installation uh, in, in your marketplace? Well, it's a, it's a very interesting question. And the biggest topic of conversation is grid capacity. Um, if the government said everyone has to switch to heat pumps tomorrow, we wouldn't be able to do it because the grid can't sustain that electrification. So there's a bottleneck there. Um, there's capacity to convert a lot of buildings today, but there's going to have to be investment to upgrade the infrastructure. And that's the same for EV chargers, for you know driving electric vehicles. It's the same conversation. Um, you know, there are a lot of electrically heated buildings that have the capacity. We're actually decreasing the energy consumption by a lot. But if you have a gas heated building, you're going to need to upgrade the capacity from the street with your local utility. So then it's a conversation of, you know, is the transformer full? Can we upgrade the capacity to energize 100 heat pumps? Um, can we not? What's the cost to do that? What's the timelines? So that's that's the bottleneck. But you know, we have some movers and shakers that we're working with that are getting ahead of the curve, some big companies that are fuel switching a lot of their buildings today because, you know, they recognize that they have to take the capacity um, while they can because, yeah, the, uh, the, grid, the grid couldn't support 100% transition today. This is something that we've been banging on about at Energy Media for years because we, I interviewed uh, uh, economic modelers like Dr. Chris Bataille, you know, four or five years ago. And they were saying our modeling shows that by 2050, uh, developed countries like Canada are going to have to double or triple the generating capacity of their grids. And for uh, low-income companies, like developing economies, say in Africa or Latin America, it's going to have to be three to five times because that we're all of these, uh, as we electrify our economy, uh, and we're talking here transportation, buildings, and industry, we're going to we're going to have to have get that power from someplace, and and so. And I've been, it's been very frustrating for me uh, to watch how slow Canada has been to, be, to even talk about the, the need for more to upgrade our, our power grids and our generation capacity. Because down in the U.S., uh, like China is going bananas. We have no idea uh, the amount of renewables. I mean, they, they, they install in China as much solar and wind every year uh, as everybody else combined and sometimes more. The Americans now have got it. The Americans are now, I've interviewed, I don't know how many American uh, utility executives who say, we can't install wind and solar fast enough. Our supply chains can't keep up. They have other issues around, you know, if we retire thermal plants like coal and, and gas too quickly, that makes it difficult for us. But nevertheless, we're all agreed that we need to get more renewables, more electricity into the grid. And the grid has to be bigger and more robust and resilient. And in Canada, we've been so successful for successful for so long. Our grids have been low cost, reliable, all of that stuff. We just thought, hey, you know, what are these guys on about? We're fine. 
And all of yep. a sudden, now that we're electrifying, oops, now we realize what, <laughs> that we maybe, you know, made a mistake five years ago. We should have been paying more attention. Typical Canadian way, right? We muddle through instead of, you know, looking into the future and going, oh, hey, here's a problem coming down the road. Maybe we should do something about it today and not wait for five or 10 years till it bites us in the behind. Anyway, this is, sorry, uh, my listeners uh, are familiar with my rant on this this topic. So they they just went for coffee and, and and have come back already with, you know, with their donut. Uh, but you get to hear it for the first time. Anyway, the uh, I agree with you. Are you seeing utilities and uh, in Ontario, the independent system operator uh, mm-hmm. and the regulator, uh, are you seeing that they're now aware of this problem and taking action? Yeah, they're aware of it. And we're connected with a lot of the local utilities, even in um, New York, Con Edison, here in Toronto, uh, Toronto Hydro. Um, they have teams and uh, people that are dedicated to facilitating the shift towards electrification. They recognize the problem. Um, they are brainstorming solutions and including industry members like ourselves. We're the boots on the ground. You know, Our job is to install as many heat pumps as we can, one unit, one heat pump, one building at a time. And, uh, you know, we don't we don't have the power to increase the grid, but we can voice um, our perspective from, you know, from the ground level. So we're collaborating with them. We're part of the conversation, um, providing input where we can. Um, they're aware of it. And I'm hopeful that, you know, the kicking the can down the road will will stop and we'll have a robust plan to increase this grid capacity um, sooner than rather than later. Well, I have an interesting question for you then, and this and it comes out of an interview I did last year with a company down in Los Angeles, and and they were uh, they were retrofitting multifamily units just like you were, but in addition to putting in heat pumps, they also put in solar panels, they put in battery storage, but most importantly, I think they put in demand response systems. So yep. when you know if if Casio the the uh, California independent system operator said, uh-oh, uh-oh, we got an alert. We we need everybody to cut back. They would go, okay, well, we're going to raise the 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 uh, the temperature in each one of the suites by four degrees. So we're going to cut back on the demand, uh, you know, the, the load from our uh, AC units, and we're going to do a few other things. And they could get right down to the individual unit and and adjust things. So if you know if if I said as an owner. Well, I, I'm, I, you're, you can raise my, me six, six degrees. That would be fine. They would raise me six degrees and my neighbor maybe two degrees or three degrees or whatever it was that they, they had agreed to. And it's that kind of smart uh, technology that I think is going to go hand in hand with the build out of the grid and the building of, of more generation capacity. Are, because, and you're on the pointy end of the stick, as, as you mentioned. Are you talking to your utilities uh, and customers about doing the same thing as that company in Los Angeles did. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's another part of the conversation. And we're trying to get creative with the solutions we can bring to the table in tandem with the conversations with uh, the utilities and upgrading capacity. But what else can we do at the building level that will help mitigate some of these challenges? Can we put in batteries to do load shifting? or peak shaving during those peak demand times? Um, can we implement demand response with our heat pumps so you can toggle you know, raise the temperature, like you said, on certain sides of the building or certain floors, and then toggle it down during those demand um, periods so that you're, yeah, peak shaving to help, you know, lower the total capacity requirement. Um, we're looking at uh, solid oxide fuel cells where you're using natural gas, not combusting it, 
it's creating CO2 that you can carbon capture in water, but creating electricity with those fuel cells to provide electricity to the building, sort of as a bridge solution while we wait for the grid from the street to increase capacity. Oh, that is very cool. So you've got fuel cells that you can put on an individual building. They're small enough and you can fuel them with natural gas, capture the carbon and generate electricity. Yeah, we're, we're looking at that. It's a challenge because it's expensive, but these are the things we're looking at and trying to find some viable solution that will you know help increase this adoption quicker. See, now, if this was the United States, and I got to go back again, and, and regular listeners, this is time for you to go get another donut because you've heard this rant before. Mar- Economist Mariano Mozzicato says, don't look at what the Americans say, which is all about free markets and no government. What the Americans do is they spend enormous amounts of public money de-risking new technologies. So if Jigger Shaw of the Department of Energy's loan program were in this conversation, he'd say, hey, Belinda, man, put in an application. I'll get you some free money and you can de-risk that technology and let's see if it works. And if it does, then we'll go over to the manufacturer, which hopefully will be in Canada. And then we'll talk about scaling up that technology to bring down costs and, and, and improve implementation. That's the way the Americans would do this. And they would do it on a huge scale. And we would do it yeah. like we always do it, which is muddle along one one unit at a time. <laughs> yeah, uh, that would be amazing. You know, um, any funding or grants or incentives that we can procure for our projects, we do. Um, you know, we we have some great customers, some of them that are very forward thinking and might have an ESG strategy or a corporate mandate to decarbonize and they have budgets to pilot cool new stuff. So we're working with a lot of them to do this, but this is, you know, private money. Um, you know, we've always believed that uh, the economy, this economy or this market shouldn't depend on grants and incentives from the government. And um, we think that putting in heat pumps into your building the business case should stand on its own legs. You know, we should show that it's going to increase um, the value of the building. It's going to increase comfort for the residents. It's going to have other benefits. It shouldn't require, you know, free money um, to get it off the ground. But certainly for piloting new technologies, improving new technologies, um, yeah, that would be huge. I, I appreciate I appreciate your ambition and not wanting to tap the taxpayer. As a taxpayer, thank you very much. <laughs> but let me give you the argument on the other side. Sure. And that is, we have entered the phase of the energy transition where the issue now is not just reducing greenhouse gases by the adoption of clean energy technology. It's how do we build out the industrial clusters that make that equipment and then the supply chains that provide the inputs into building that equipment. In this case, we're talking heat pumps and demand response technologies and all of that kind of stuff. It's a race. It's an arms race. That's what the Americans, that's what the Americans in 2020 woke up to is that China leads that arms race by a factor of, I don't know, 10, 20, but big. And then the Americans got, you know, that's why the the Americans brought in the uh, Inflation Reduction Act and the CHIPS Act and the Infrastructure Act. It's because they get it. It's not just about emissions. It's it's about building the technology, the industry to make the, that equipment. And that's why you bring in public money. That's why. Yep. Because if you don't, then the equipment you're going to buy, you're going to buy, is going to be made in China. Or it's going to be made in Tennessee. Or it's going to be made in Belgium. But it's not going to be yep. made in Toronto. And, and if we want it to be made in Toronto, 
or British Columbia or Quebec, then we need to bring in that public money, de-risk the technology and help our manufacturers scale up so that you're using Canadian equipment. That's yep. the argument for public money. Yep, I agree. I don't disagree with that at all. Oh, I love it when, when my guests agree with me. <laughs> and they, because sometimes they don't. And that, but then that's, that leads to all sorts of interesting conversations too. So, um, so where do we, now one of the things that you, you've made a point of in, uh, is that you've met with governments in Canada, you've met with at different levels of government, whether it be municipal or provincial, uh, but also municipal and state in the U.S., and there is a lot of red tape and, and some of the processes are very slow uh, when they don't need to be. Can you tell us about that? Well, it's interesting. Um, so in a lot of uh, cities here in Canada, if you want to upgrade the capacity to your building, the local utility is going to say, okay, it's going to cost a million dollars, just pulling out a number of thin air. And you ask, well, you know, why is it going to cost a million dollars? And they say, well, that's what it costs. Um, in the U.S. and New York, for example, Con Edison, local local utility in New York City, um, they won't charge you money to increase the capacity. You put in your your plan. I'm putting in heat pumps, and they'll make sure you have the power. So it's more streamlined, and there's less capital cost and capital risk for owners to make that transition. So uh, we have some work to do to break down some barriers here in Canada to make you know, those decisions more palatable for owners that are looking to do this. Yeah, that's interesting because most of the utilities in Canada are owned by the provincial government. Mm -hmm. And Crown. and and there's a lot of pressure on provincial, uh, on on those Crown-owned uh, utilities to return profits back to the provincial government. So they have an incentive to shift the cost onto the consumer as opposed to paying it them, the capital cost themselves. And I'll use my own example here. It cost, we had decided to upgrade our supply from the basically from the transformer into the house because we were thinking ahead to you know what we really want to have a at least one electric vehicle in the not too distant future and we want to put in a charger and so yep. we should while we're doing all this other work why don't we put in a upgrade from a 100 amp box to a 200 amp box and then we'll get the supply upgraded then we're ready we we were ready to be the house of the future as we we adopt some of these new technologies but it costs us for 4 grand and, yeah. and there was no rebate from BC Hydro. Now, I, I will say that the total cost to get all of the work done uh, was $18,000, roughly. And we had been quoted nine or $10,000 for a natural gas furnace plus air conditioner, traditional air conditioner. But the amount of subsidies available for other things, other than increasing the supply, from the federal government, 5000 bucks, from the BC government, I think it was three or four, and then from BC Hydro, altogether brought the cost of the heat pump down to within 1000 or 2000 of the natural gas plus AC option. Yep. So with those subsidies, it became much more, you know, it was, it was the, the numbers made a lot of sense. It wasn't a marginal yeah. thing, it, you know, in a couple of years. So do you see that same thing on, in your business model? Yeah, I mean, in for uh, that context, it's a no-brainer, right? So um, we can get some grants and incentives for our projects on commercial and multifamily buildings. What's interesting is there's uh, a, um, a tax credit that owners can apply for now for private corporations and they can get a tax credit up to 30% of the capital cost. 
Whereas it's not exactly a rebate or an incentive, but they can still get a benefit that can really move the needle. Because when you're talking a million dollar project, you know, $300,000 tax credit um, is, is a great benefit. So um, there, are, uh, there are sort of vehicles to make this work. Um, there are some grants and incentives through the IESO. Um, you know, there are some there are some low interest financing options, you know, Canada Infrastructure Bank, um, you know, sort of very, very, very low interest, higher amortization period loans for clean technologies. And um, we offer a lot of financing options for our projects, but there's there's ways to make this work and make it palatable on the balance sheet. Yeah, that's right. I'm really, really pleased to hear that. Um, so if let's go back to the question that we asked at the beginning of the podcast, which was, uh, should Canada uh, adopt the same goal as California of installing 6 million electric heat pumps by 2030? Can we even do that? I think they should say that we need to, because that sets the benchmark. It gives a tangible goal. I think, you know, we can set GHG reduction targets, but how are we going to achieve that? Well, here's one path forward to address this segment in the emissions. We want to retrofit all buildings um, with heat pumps. If you look at New York, they've banned natural gas for new construction, and then all buildings are benchmarked. So you know your rating based on your emissions and they're gonna start getting fined. Owners are gonna get fined depending on how poorly rated their building is. Um, so, you know, things like that. Let's start with a carrot with grants incentives, but it will have to shift to a stick at some point to, to make the, the slow mover, movers actually make a decision and go forward. Ah, those laggards. There's always laggards. According to, according to, uh, uh, oh goodness, I've forgotten his name. Um, uh, the fellow who came up with the te uh, tech adoption bell curve, which was uh -huh. where innovators, early adopters, early majority adopt, where that comes comes from. Uh, yeah. And the first two initials are AE, and I've forgotten his last name. Doesn't matter. The point is, laggards make up approximately 16% of any population, and they are just, there are going to be laggards and everything. So you need some sticks. Uh, the innovators will take advantage of the carrots, but the, yeah, yeah the, the laggards need sticks. So um, I wanted to ask you a question about whether or not your company could scale up in a short period of time. Like, you know, do you have an access to enough capital? Do you have access to enough trained employees? Do you have access to the other kind of inputs that you need if, if you know, Canada brought in this $6 million heat pumps by 2030 target and you had to scale up to, to, to do your part, could you do it? Short answer is yes, we could. And we have been scaling up and growing um, pretty steadily year over year, which is amazing. You know, over the last... A few years, we've installed 3,000 heat pumps across, uh, you know, Ontario and in New York, Chicago, Detroit. Um, that's since 2020. In the last year alone, we did a thousand of those units, and next year we'll probably do 2,000. So we have not hit capacity. Um, we have plenty of room to continue scaling up. Uh, access to capital is not an, an issue. Um, you know, we're just super motivated to put in as many heat pumps as we possibly can. You know, everywhere we can across North America. I have a question for you. You may not be able to answer this because, uh, but it comes out of a column. Yeah, you do your best. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, but it comes out of a column I'm writing about the carbon tax, because of course, as a Canadian, you've probably heard, you know, you, you saw, you've seen the, the controversy the federal government created uh, last week when it gave an exemption to um, Atlantic Canada, a three-year exemption on carbon tax on heating 
oil uh, and and provided new incentives for heat pumps. So very the very thing we're talking about. And economists all across Canada have been decrying this, saying, oh, you've broken the carbon tax system. You've made an exemption. And then, of course, all you've done is open the door. Now everybody is going to want an exemption. And there's been some, some evidence of that. But here's my point. Mm -hmm. uh, does the carbon tax, as you're dealing with it in Ontario, does it ever play a role? Is it a positive uh, signal, price signal to, to you and your customers uh, to install heat pumps, or is it negligible? It's impact neg negligible. No, it has an impact. And we look at how the carbon tax is modeled to affect um, gas heating prices in buildings into the future. And today um, and yesterday, it's historically cheaper to heat a building with gas, even with a high efficiency boiler, than it is with a heat pump. But when you model how that carbon tax is going to affect gas prices and then heating costs, we anticipate 2025 is the year where it will flip and it will be um, less expensive to heat a building um, just at baseline level, apples for apples, a heat, less expensive to heat with a heat pump than with um, a furnace or a boiler. And it's interesting that you mentioned Atlantic Canada because I feel they're a little bit further ahead in terms of heat pump installations. Everyone's got a heat pump out east. And in fact, the oil heating, you know, that's the that's the lowest hanging fruit. The economics make a ton of sense to get off of oil and put a heat pump in. Oh, that's very, that's fascinating. Uh, what experience has your company had on the East Coast? Uh, we're not out east. We're in Ontario. Um, we're coming to BC. Um, we're in Detroit, Michigan. We're in Chicago, Illinois, and New York. Um, these are sort of similar climates. This is where we're starting. This is we're born out of Toronto and Chicago, Detroit, New York. Um, they all have similar climates. So that's really been our focus. And we haven't gone out east, coming out west. Gotcha. But, but you're familiar with what's going on in Atlantic Canada. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have partners out there. We have friends out there where uh, we try to keep our finger on the pulse. Gotcha. Well, this is this has been a fascinating conversation. And I I dare say because of interviews I've done in the past, that if we had had this conversation two, three years ago, it would be a very different conversation. It's, it's astonishing how uh, the changes in technology, changes in policy, the COVID-19 pandemic, followed by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, has, and the emergence of China as a clean energy industry power has changed everything. Oh, and what the Americans are doing uh, and the response that it elicited from the EU, all of that together has supercharged the the adoption of, of heat pump technology and other clean energy technologies in a way we couldn't have imagined three years ago. Would you agree with that? 100%. I, I feel it. I see it. You know, the term heat pump is in has been brought to the forefront of public consciousness, and it's in the zeitgeist, and everyone's talking about it. And um, you know, energy independence and electrification, these are all buzzwords that everyone's talking about. Whereas, you know, five, six years ago, when we started out trying to sell heat pumps as a solution for these inefficient buildings, most people didn't even know what we were talking about. But now, you know, everyone knows, everyone's heard a heat pump, everyone's thought about it. Um, we're really, really happy and see this as, um, you know, positive steps being taken forward. And we're on the right, we're on the right path. We just need to run a bit faster. Yeah, I we often use the technology adoption S curve here, 
to explain things. And I think that if uh, if heat pumps haven't hit the inflection point, which is generally considered five to 10% of new sales uh, in a particular market, uh, if they haven't, they, they're very close. They're right, right on the, the cusp of hitting the inflection point. And if after that, then comes exponential growth. So that's the hockey stick growth yep. kind of kind of growth. And I, I suspect that we're we were seeing it in other markets. And of course, technologies uh, adoption rates are always different uh, in different regions and in different different marketplaces. So we're seeing uh, heat pumps take off quicker elsewhere. California would be an, an example. But I think Canada, particularly in, in your part of the world and in BC and Quebec, uh, I think that they're probably already just beginning exponential growth. So that bodes well for your company. So good luck to you in the future and uh, stay in touch. I'd be very curious to see how things go over the next year or two. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It's been, uh, yeah, it's been great. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.